Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, grove.church. Yes, and as usual, if you have questions as you're either reading along in the reading plan or maybe just reading the Bible in general uh, and you stumbled across the podcast, I guess I should speak clearly. Either way. Uh, feel free to send us those questions. You can do that two ways. One is an email and the email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line, let's read the Bible podcast question, uh, or LTRB for short. Um, podcast, don't forget podcast. Or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. In Washington State. In Washington State. Not of Washington, but in we, Washington. We, uh, we just got a message from someone last week who... Um, I don't know. Knew of the... Yeah, this, is, this, this story is happening live that Aaron hasn't heard yet, but they knew... The church was in Washington, and so they were watching online. I'm not sure how long it was, if it was just that week or if it was a few weeks going into it. Um, but finally, they messaged in. It's like, I think I've been watching the wrong Grove Church because they just celebrated the Phoenix Suns making it into the NBA Finals and talked about how it was their team. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So they had been watching the Grove Church in Arizona, oh which is goodness. like our big, not rival, that's the wrong word, but basically They're like- our rivals. We just have- Take them down. I need to I'm message kidding. them because I want to message their media people and like ask, like, do you guys ever get like weird science? Because we've had people in Arizona sign up for our life groups on accident. Yep, we've had that people- was, That was funny. Now I've had people watch their online thinking it's our online. It's just a good time. So anyway. Hey, you know what? When you're doing kingdom work- this, it's not Apollos or Paul. This country ain't big enough for two Grove churches. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. It actually is. That actually is really funny. Yeah. Anyways. You, hey, so, listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm rooting for the Suns for the finals. If you're a basketball fan and watching the finals, I'm totally rooting for the Suns. Uh, I like I like CP3 now. I actually didn't think I liked him when he was a Houston Rocket. I just found out it was much like you with Tom Brady. It's True. not that you didn't like Tom Brady. You didn't like the Patriots. I right. didn't realize it. Well, the people of Boston specifically. No. Well, just that's, kidding. That's just rude. Just kidding, people of Boston. Um, they're, they're, our, our listenership just it's dropped more, in Boston. It's more jealousy than anything else because I don't think anyone – city has the right to be that sports happy for as long as they have been. And like, you know what I mean? It's just like the Celtics were really good. The Patriots were really good. The Bruins were really good. The Red Sox. It's just, it's obnoxious. You know, it's just obnoxious. Okay. For those of you who don't know, Evan is a Seattle Mariner fan. That's true. Uh, and, and Seahawks. Mar yeah. But the Seahawks won something when you were, were a fan of them. Right. Uh, one thing they won once. So they lost twice. Just want to make sure you know that. Um, and I'm a Cowboys fan, so I love the Dallas Cowboys. I've watched them since I was a kid when I grew up watching them with my mom in Virginia, which is a big sticking point for Evan. But there's no home team. And when you're a kid watching football with your mom, she's a Cowboys fan. You fall in love with the Cowboys. And I just heard that our listenership in uh, Texas has taken over uh, Washington State as the We, we got a lot of listeners in Texas. So I just want to say, well done. Hopefully you're a Cowboys fan. If not, probably a Texans fan. That's okay, too. Well, this isn't a sports talk. Nope, not at all. Podcast. This is what happens we, when Evan and got, I get to hang out. We got it out of the way. So, but we're going to talk about Amos today. So, the book of Amos, um, not the cookies, although oh, famous. Those Amos. are pretty good as well. Uh, as far as my heart, famous Amos cookies. Oh yeah, we'd always get. Anyways, we keep getting sidetracked today. We're just we're a little loopy. Happy Thursday, guys. Uh, my coffee is only a third drink, so there you go. Uh, as far as resources that we're using today, it's the ESV Study Bible, the Logos Bible Software, the Reformation Study Bible, and the Essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. So just the classics. Thank you, Mr. Yates. Oh yeah. And Mr. Hinson. Yeah. just the last Professor name. Hinson, I guess. Dr. I Hinson? think 
Is he a doctor? I think he was actually, no, never mind. There's one, one of the authors of the books was actually one of my professors in college. Um, but I think it's Elmer Towns. That's a weird flex, bro. It's not even a flex. It's just, just like, <laughs> it's just, just it was online. So it was just like the guy who graded my papers. Probably, oh, so not, even like, gra- probably not even graded my papers. Yeah. He just, his name was on the class. So there you go. So anyway, funny. moving, moving forward. Promise. Now, dear listeners, we're focused now. Hopefully. All right. No promises actually. So Amos is an interesting Bible, uh, biblical character, both in that we know very little about him, but what we do know is fairly unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so first off, he's a man from Judah whose ministry takes place mostly in the northern kingdoms of, of Israel. Um, and that's not completely unique. There's a few people that do that as well. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but there's a, there's a few prophets that are from Judah and they go north. Um, but his ministry took place during the reigns of Uzziah and Jeroboam II, which that's actually fairly rare that a king's pro- prophetic, mi- not a king, that a prophet's ministry <laughs> takes place during the reign of one king, mm-hmm. especially one king True. for both nations. That's exceedingly rare. Uh, and so this means that he would have been prophesying when Isaiah was either a young man or slightly before he was born. You remember that Isaiah's call happens in the year King Uzziah died. That's that famous Isaiah 6 passage. That's Ooh. how it starts off. So Amos is right before. So it's possible that Isaiah was, well, Isaiah would have been aware of him, but it's possible Isaiah actually was like aware of him while he was doing his ministry. If not, it was soon after. Um, and we also know that he's a shepherd. However, and I didn't I didn't know this before we studied for this episode. Um, the word used there for shepherd is actually really rare. So it's not the normal Hebrew word that we see translated into English as shepherd. Um, the only other place it's used in the Old Testament is to describe Misha, the king of the Moabites, as a great, basically it was describing his wealth in hmm. livestock. So this would suggest that either Amos is a very wealthy herdsman, so he's not just kind of a, a shepherd, or he works for a very wealthy herdsman. Either one is kind of possible, depending on how you look at it. Um, and then it made me think of, if he was the um, if he was working for a very wealthy herdsman, it made me think of Nehemiah. If you'll remember, yep. he's the cupbearer for the king, and he goes off to do his ministry. Amos would have a similar um, a similar story then, where he leaves a place of high privilege in order to go do the ministry that he's called to. So, kind of an, kind of an interesting thought there. Um, and then the book of Amos explores God's justice, particularly how it applies to everyone and not just Israel's enemies. So, but we'll get to that. It's kind of, it's kind of a funny turn <laughs> when I was reading through it. Um, and then Amos delivers many of his messages at Bethel, which if you remember from last week, our tale of two kings, yeah. this was not planned, but no. it worked out really well. It's probably a Bible reading. It's probably like the Bible reading plan did it to work it out really well as well, but maybe, um, maybe. I've read some Bible reading plans that they there seems no rhyme or reason to any of it. So, <laughs> um, but Bethel is the place where Jeroboam the first actually sets up the golden calf. So remember the very southern part of Israel. Yep. Jeroboam builds two golden calves. He puts one up in Dan, I believe, and the other one down in Bethel. And so this is where Amos generations later. This is where Amos will be doing his ministry. And it's it's also kind of ironic that it's happening under Jeroboam the second. So the only other king that is named Jeroboam is presiding over this time. So it's kind of, it's kind of a cool deal. Uh, and then for its structure, it can be divided into two parts. Uh, so there's the oracles of judgment, which is chapters one through six, which is mm-hmm. basically just a bunch of thus saith the Lord. And then uh, visions of judgment, seven through nine, chapter seven through nine. So let's, let's hop in. So the first oracles, um, right off the bat, if you're looking at your Bible, Amos looks really different from most books. It looks almost like Psalms. 
in, in, mm-hmm. the, in that sense yeah. where it's very short little snippets, not the whole book, but it starts off in very short snippets. And it's just, thus saith the Lord, few lines, thus saith the Lord, few lines. It kind of goes like that. Also, I do want to point out that thus saith the Lord is thus saith Yahweh. Um, it's capitalized all the Lord. And it feels weird to say thus saith Yahweh because that's not something we ever say. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Amos is declaring these these things, he's declaring this is what Yahweh, the one true God is saying. Yeah. So not the title of the Lord, which is another way of referring to God, but um, Amos is using Yahweh's proper name. So, yeah. which is something I think we talked about in the podcast before, but I'm trying to do a little bit more of, of actually like not just referring to God by the title of God, but also refer to the name that he's given. So, cause you know. Yeah, it was briefly he gave passing, the name. you talked about it. But. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, but he opens up with quite the statement. So this is, Amos chapter one, verses one through two. This is before he gets into the thus saith Yahweh parts. This is just kind of him doing his thing. Uh, but it says, the words of Amos, who is among the shepherds of Tekoa, when he, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Also, I love the idea that like, there's an earthquake coming. Ooh. Like so, now we know. Uh, and he said, this is Amos speaking, the Lord roars from Zion and utters the voice, his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. So basically he's coming in full guns blazing with this. Yeah. He's not He's not holding back like most of the prophets. The I, I always feel like we skip over the prophets because they're a little bit hard to read. Um, well, and they're harsh. And they're, yeah, they're also <laughs> no very, likes to read harsh almost things. all of them are really harsh. Um, but they also don't have, most of them don't have like stories attached to them. That's true. It's just, so like, I think the most famous prophets, when you think of stories would be like Elijah or Jonah. Um, it's those prophets where we can, Daniel, it's yeah. those prophets where we can say, and this is also what they did, but the prophets like Amos kind of get left behind a little bit because most of what they do is just what they declared, mm-hmm. but it's an incredibly powerful thing. Um, after this section, Amos launches into Yahweh's judgments against against J- Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, the Ammonites, and Moab. I always wonder, like, why isn't why is it the judgment against the Ammonites, but their their nation is not listed? I don't actually know. Is it Ammon? I don't know. But the rest of them are yeah, against Ammon. Yeah, the rest of them are against the actual countries, and this one's against the people. Um, but you can imagine it's it's funny. You can totally. kind of, you can kind of imagine like Amos gets up. He's he's in Bethel now. The people of Israel around him, and he says, "The Lord is coming down like a lion, prepared." Like all this, like, "Oh my gosh, all right." And he's totally. like, "Let me tell you what I'm thinking of." Damascus, and the people are kind of cheering, and Gaza. And he the was people super cheering. famous for for a short window of time. Guarantee yeah. it. Everyone loved him. And then and then it just takes a turn in chapter two, verses four through eight. And he goes, "Thus saith the Lord: For three transgressions." Uh, of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have kept his statute and not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and they shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. And even then, because remember that Amos is in the Northern kingdom, maybe still the people are kind of cheering. They're just like, yeah, Shove it, Judah. You guys think you're so cool with your temple and Jerusalem. You're all going to get judged. And then right after that, Amos goes, thus says, ju- thus says the Lord. I, I want to say, thus saith the Lord, but that's that's, that's old school. That's bro. King That James. shows that you grew up in church. It's true. Uh, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, 
and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Oh, so snap. he's going in basically saying, you guys are being wicked. Uh, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn away, turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go in the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So basically he's going through and it, it doesn't stop there. We just kind of stopped reading there because you can't read, you can't read the whole book of Amos, but he really does launch into just a full judgment of Israel. And it reminds me of what happens in Habakkuk, where Habakkuk is kind of talking about, you know, why isn't why aren't the people being judged? And then God is like, well, here, here's exactly how it's going to happen. And they're going to be conquered by the Babylonians. And Habakkuk, Habakkuk's like, wait, hold, hold, hold the phone there, Lord. It's kind of like what happens with, not with Amos, Amos himself, but with the people where they're just kind of hearing this judgment upon all the other nations. And then all of a sudden it's revealed uh, to them. It God's judgment will not just be for the nations. Mm-hmm. It will be for his chosen people too. Um, so Judah is judged for a failure to live up to the God of uh, to the law of God, which I thought was interesting, given that this is happening during the reign of Uzziah, which is he's one of the good yeah, slash one of the good kings. great kings. Um, I think he would be. We haven't done an episode on Uzziah. Maybe we should. Um, but he's re- he's really borderline because he's one of those kings that starts off really strong, continues really strong, and it's at the very end that he kind of blows it. Um, but even then, he, he might be counted among like the, the higher tier kings of Judah. But even during this reign, it's a problem. So even during the reign of a, of a righteous king like Uzziah, there's still an issue happening with all these different things. And then Israel is judged for much, much more. So it's, it's funny because you kind of think of it as being, here's all these oracles of judgment, and then Israel also gets their own oracle. No, they get really like their own third of the book. That's just about uh, what. I, Take that. Really, actually, I should, I should, I should rephrase that. It's the rest of the book from that point on is what will happen to Israel. Some of it's you will we'll get, we'll get to the end. It, it changes tone, but the rest of it really is kind of talking about it. Um, and the next thing from two six to nine ten, Amos just lays into the northern kingdom with with very few breaks. There's a few breaks where it's like turn back to God and repent. And then he just goes back into it. So like, for instance, in chapter three, verses one through 10, it says, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. O people of Israel against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. And then that's an important statement there because he's saying that God has had a deeper relationship with the people of Israel um, collectively. So Judah would be included in this, yeah. not that they're included in the punishment, but they, they would be included in this idea. And therefore God is going to judge them more strictly based off of what they do. So like Harsh. the idea, yeah. So the idea that the Babylonian, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like when I was a kid and like, I would do something and I'd be like, but like, you know, my friends, it, my friend's allowed to do that. I was like, well, look, I'm not your friend's parents, but I'm your parents. Kind of the I same thing. I hated that from my mom and dad. <laughs> Come on. So, like when you you can't say the Babylonians are, or I guess in this case it'd be, but the Assyrians are allowed to do that. Like, listen, I'm not the Assyrians God, am I? So come and, on. And even though I want to be careful, God is the God of all creation. Yep. But what I meant is the Assyrians didn't worship him. Uh, so moving on verse three, 
Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no one to trap it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has nothing? If a trumpet is, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid, does a disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets, which is pause there is also a really interesting point because he's basically saying like what I'm telling you right now, keep in mind, this is Amos speaking mm -hmm. the words of God. He's saying that I'm doing it the exact way that I've always done it. Uh, the lion is roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Uh, proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. So he's, he's going for it. And I love this picture that being a shepherd Amos would be very familiar with lions. Um, lions are kind yeah. of like one of the big things. Like if you remember from the story of King David, that's his whole thing is he kills these animals who are coming after his sheep. And so Amos would probably know firsthand the terror of seeing a lion, not in a zoo, but face to face. Yeah. And that's what he's comparing the Lord to. A hungry what, lion. Right. That's how the Lord is describing himself. It's funny. I was talking about this with... Um, um, during the discipleship class on Job, but at the very end when God is answering Job and he's de he's declaring basically his glory in all creation. I was talking about how much is lost for us in modern times because of zoos where like we've seen lions and we've seen elephants and hippos and alligators and all these animals that, that God references there. Um, but we, we don't really fear them. And then one, one of my favorite videos that makes me think of it is there's a, one of those drive through safaris where, um, you know, all the animals are around, but you keep your windows up because it's actually like the carnivore ones, but you can drive by. So there's like these lions. It's and like the carnivore one. Right. It's a, well, I mean, like, because we have those around it's the ones here. that will eat you. Yeah. Like here, I've had like a bison stick its whole head inside my car because you can roll the windows down, which was pretty cool. Also terrifying, but cool. Um, did you give it a kiss? I did not. Okay. But it gave me a, a kiss or a bison kiss. So anyway, we don't need to get into <laughs> We keep getting sidetracked. But in this video... It's this girl in the backseat and she's taking a video of this lion that has, it's like perched up against their car. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And then all of a sudden you hear the door open because they forgot to lock the car. And so the lion had like slipped and like hit the handle and opened up the door. And it's, it's crazy because what, I mean, it's not crazy. It's what you would do. The tone shifts from, oh my gosh, this is so cool to the phone instantly drops on the floor and you hear everyone screaming. And then the door, you hear the sound of the door slam shut really quick. But it's just like that. It's that, that little layer of glass and, and metal is the difference between just looking at a so lion true. and being awestruck by a lion. And so what I mean to say here is that Amos has been awestruck by lions before. Yeah. He's faced them down or at least would know enough about them to, to not use this metaphor lightly. Yeah. So it's true. That's kind of, that's my little tangent. I suppose. No, it's a good one. I think it's, it's, I think you're so right. Like we, in our Americanized Western society, we don't have a full view. I mean, even like I, dude, I think of like going to a trip in Africa one day and I want to do a safari. If I ever go to Africa, I want a safari. That'd be really cool. But even that, like, it's not as dangerous as if I'm out in the middle of, of the safari without protection of a vehicle. Um, but I think we miss, the weight sometimes given in the verbiage and the pictures in scripture um, about God, especially in regards to a lion. I think it's 
I mean, you can see different pictures or videos of it, but you don't. Right. I mean, I watched Jurassic World with my daughter last night. At the very end, uh, you see uh, the T-Rex roaring at a lion on a, on a on Great a shot. Yeah, it's a great shot. Only dude. good thing it's, in that movie. <laughs> um, but my daughter had a good time with it. So anyways, yeah, I think there's such a drastic picture that sometimes we have to stop and really kind of think about um, when we read stuff like this yeah. in scripture. So side note, with all of the movies... Um, all five of them and soon to be a six. If a real world Jurassic Park opened up, I'd be there day one. So, cause, cause dinosaurs are cool. But anyway, that's maybe that's Dude, just that, that would be, I mean, not, yeah. That it's an icebreaker question. Different. I ask people all the time, but it's like, come on, you still go. <laughs> I've, never heard, I've never heard you ask that question. Have I not? You don't ask that all the time. Well, why, I don't, we, I don't need to break the ice with you. We've known each other for many years. Maybe I've forgotten you. All right. Um, so anyways, the, the other thing I want to Sorry point out. Sorry for the tangent. Oh, today's just a day for tangents, apparently. Uh, the other thing to point out is how incredibly brave it is for Amos to be declaring these things. Because keep in mind, Amos is in Israel. Yeah, and and we'll see true. we'll see what happens because um, later on there's there's a little bit of strife that comes up from this. But Amos is in the midst of the people of the Northern Kingdom declaring essentially God's judgment. Um, and then there would be points. I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but there would be points where God actually reminds his people to turn back. So he says, for, the, uh, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba for Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. Uh, boy, God does not like Bethel. Not a huge fan, which is ironic given that like that church's name is Bethel, which is like, and it, and I guess there's like, um, is it, that's where Jacob has the vision, right? Yeah. So, that's that's Jacob's yeah. so it's not like that's the only thing, but it's the, not the only negative thing. It's right. where Jacob wrestled with God. Yeah. So there's, there's great things earlier, but the, it's just, you know, the opinion of it has changed. So that's kind of, I guess what I'm getting at is it's, true. it's later on in the, in the Bible, in the old Testament. That's Bethel. not to say God's opinion about the church or our opinion about the church. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was just saying, So it's just funny. Yeah. I was just saying that to it's irony. Exactly. Uh, seek the Lord and live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. Oh, you who turn justice to wormwood, great word, uh, and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and the Orion, which are the same stars actually that God references in Job. So just in case you thought I was referen done referencing Job, he also I almost made a comment when you first brought up Job's like, that's not another podcast without Evan talking about Job. It's true. Anyways. And turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens day into the night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. So what you see there is continual language of destruction, but it's yeah. bookended, not bookended, but it starts off with seek me and live. There is still an opportunity for Israel to repent. Um, and we've talked about this a bunch of times. Judah would take some of those opportunities. Israel takes none of them. Yeah, and right? It's really a bummer. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But that's just kind of, that's the way it is, I suppose. Um, there's also one of my favorite passages. It reminds me because we did an episode on Joel, I think last year. I think, I think the so. tail end of last year. And so Joel is all about the day of the Lord or the mm -hmm. day of Yahweh, right? And I do I do love this. There's just, well, here, I'll just read it and we'll talk about it a little bit. So in Amos 5.18, it says, woe to you, 
who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, which is a great, I love that metaphor. It's kind of like, it's essentially the same thing as saying out of the frying pan and into the fire. It's a man yep. fleeing from a lion. And I like this one finding better. A bear. I'm going to start using this one. There you go. Uh, or went into the house and learned his, and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit, bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts and take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Keep in mind, this is God speaking through Amos. Yeah. And and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Um, That's a buzzkill. Dude, this is like, I I love this passage. (laughs) I have uh, full disclosure, I haven't done a ton in Amos, like, you know what I mean, studying-wise. So I've read it a few times, but... I couldn't really remember much about it. I, I remember that he was a shepherd. That was it. Um, but this is like one of my favorite passages. <laughs> it's just like, cause I love the idea of the people of Israel. It's like, just you wait for the day of the Lord and God being like, I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> like, it's so, funny. so it's just a little, he princess brides them a little bit here. Um, but the idea is this, that the people of Israel have been exceedingly wicked. They have not been following God's commands. Yeah. And it reminds me of, I, I always, I bring this up all the time and I always forget what Psalm it is. I think you usually know, but it's the the sacrifices of our God as a broken and a contrite heart is paraphrased it. Um, I think it's Psalm 51. Is I think it 51? I think it's a penitent Psalm. I think it's David saying it, right? I, yeah. I think it's a Psalm of David. Um, so I think it's Psalm 51. But the idea behind that Psalm is that what God desires is not the outer things. The outer things should be a reflection of what is in the heart. Yeah. And so the people of Israel they're having the feasts. They're following that aspect yeah. of the law. They're doing the solemn service, all these different solemn assemblies. Um, they're doing burnt offerings and grain grain offerings. Um, they're even doing the fatted animals. They're doing it right. You know, yeah. They're not just giving God like the worst animals, um, but they're neglecting the poor yeah. or they're oppressing people. They're doing horrible things. They're involved in sexual sin that they talked about, that Amos talked about in one of the, a few passages ago that we read. All of these things are happening. So I love the fact that it's contrasted from you think you want the day of the Lord. Trust me, you don't. Yeah. It's going to be like you are running away from a lion and you meet a bear. Um, and then it goes into this idea of I hate all of the trappings of religion that you have mm-hmm. because there's nothing behind it. And then it ends with let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Or in other words, that's what God's want, God wants. Yeah. And that, I mean, that pegs the, the, diff- the exact difference, the one difference between religion and, and not relations. I, I even hate that comparison because I think there was a trend years ago that said, you know, I, I, why I hate religion, but I love my, but I love Jesus. Right. Um, but that's the difference between a religious religion and God honors and accepts versus God rejects is you can do all of the actions. Like we can sit here and read the Bible. We can sit here and talk about the Bible. We can sit here and go to church and engage and give and serve and do all these different things. But if there is, if it doesn't flow out of our understanding, out of the heart, if it doesn't flow out of the heart, recognizing God's love and grace and mercy, then all it is, is religion. Right. And God doesn't care about that. God cares about our hearts. God cares about the the motivations behind why we're doing what we're doing. And this, this paints this picture very, very clearly. Here's the difference between what God honors 
in, in religious practice and what God dishonors and does not, and it despises, not even dishonors, but hates. Right. So. Well, it reminds me today of um, like the sacrament and not being, you know, we're, we're coming from um, a Protestant tradition and not really a traditional Protestant tradition. And what I mean by that is like, we're not like Anglicans or like Episcopalians where there's still a lot of liturgy. Um, but so, but even the, um, the sacraments that we do do, um, do do, um, but the ones that we, we do in gatherings and services, there's very much this idea of you can do them without having anything in your heart. Like baptism, if you're not, if it's not a reflection of what's actually happened inside of you, the idea that like I'm, I've committed my life to Christ, I'm a Christian and my life is made new. Well, then baptism is just getting dunked in water. Yeah. And getting a free shirt if you're through the ground. And getting a free, yeah, getting a free shirt. But like if, uh, with communion, um, communion can, if it's an incredibly powerful time to sit and reflect on the sacrifice of Christ and, and what the new covenant means for us and the redemption and the forgiveness that we find in that. Um, but yeah, you can just come and sit and all it is, is eating a dry cracker and a it's shot not enjoyable. and a Let's shot of honest. grape juice. Yeah. It's not like communion. We, I shouldn't say intentionally, but like the bread's not very good. Like yeah. It's kind of the way it is. Um, but it's so true. And that's, and that's part of the tension and that we all have to navigate is, Am I responding out of routine and right. not not religion, but am I responding with the disconnect of the heartfelt reality to it? And 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 we all fall prey to this. We all fall victim to mm-hmm. this. I mean, there's there's countless times I've been in a in, in a gathering where we've had communion or we've we've had an intentional time where we've been encouraged to reflect and and process what we've just heard or and and my heart's not in it. And I know full well that my heart's not in it. Right, but I'm going through the motions because it's what I know I need to do, and and I'm not, and I want to be careful because I don't think that just because you go through the motions because your heart's not in it means that you're that God's rejecting you. I think there is sometimes an honest reality where we go through motions out of faith-filled tension in. Where I'm just like, I'm just not feeling it, Lord, right now. I feel dry in my heart. My relationship with you feels like it's the it's, uh, the I believe, but help my unbelief. Exactly, attitude. it's that tension, but it's. It's not the I believe but help my unbelief. It's like, yeah, this is good. Right. And I'm going to do it, but I've got other things I'd rather be doing right now. God God doesn't want that. God doesn't care about, and it sounds bad to say it this way, but God, God, God would rather you want to be with him and spend time with him than doing it out of necessity. Right. And because all this to say, it's not that God um, doesn't desire us to do those traditional things, but, but, but the deepest desire is the heart behind them. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with sacrifices. It's not that God never desired sacrifices. It's that sacrifices are pointless if it's not accompanied by true penitence yeah. um, or true, so true. Pen, uh, um, sorrow over yeah. sin. So there you go. Well, here, I'll, I'll commit right now on the podcast. Next time I do communion, I'll use the same as passage. So there we go. Because I think it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a good communion. Not if I mess- use it first. I'm just kidding. That's fair. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> there's a good communion pa- uh, message in there though. Anyway. All right. So next we're going to get to... Uh, the final three chapters of Amos where it switches a little bit. So it goes from like the oracles of judgment to essentially uh, visions of what is to come. So Amos has some visions here. So in the first vision, uh, the first two are really natural disasters. Um, The first one is a locust plague that rips across the land. And then the second one is a great fire that rips across the land. So if you're reading these, it's kind of cool how it's structured because it says Amos ago. And then I saw this and then the Lord explains it. So it's kind of like instantly um, how it works. Yeah. 
So kind of similar to parables, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's an explanation of, of the prophecy. Right. That's what it is. Uh, the third vision is of a plumb line where God declares that Israel did not measure up. Um, basically what that means is, it, what a plumb line was, if you don't know, which I didn't know before I went on a construction mission trip and we had to use plumb lines, but it's uh, it's just a string with a weight on the end. The weights, I can't really describe the shape, but it's it's shaped a certain way. It's canonical. Sure. It's like a cone. There you, ooh, canonical, canonical. But like it's, it. yeah, but it's, yeah. But what it does is it measures how straight your walls are. Mm-hmm. So if your if your walls are really crooked, then the integrity of the whole building is Gonna is fall. suspect. Yeah. So the plumb line is what you use to make sure that your walls are straight. Um, and the idea there is that God is using His plumb line on Israel, and then walls are crooked. Yeah. It's a picture of integrity. Integrity has always been a construction term, right? Your integrity is, right. The found, is of the foundation. If it's compromised, then it will not hold the weight that's being built upon it. Same concept. The plumb line is drawn. It shows the integrity of the, of, of in this case, the people of Israel right. shows their integrity that it's been compromised and they're not going to stand. There you go. Uh, and then we take a break in the middle of visions. And this is what I was referencing earlier. <laughs> uh, we actually do get a story in Amos. It's not a very long one, but, but it it's says, a story, yeah, in uh, Amos chapter seven, it says, for starting at verse 10, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. It kind of reminds me of like worm tongue from Lord of the Rings a little bit. So, uh, For thus, Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile and away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, which is kind of like a derogatory term for prophet, mm-hmm. uh, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. Basically, you know, we don't want you yeah. Judean, get out of here. Uh, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son. But I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. I didn't, you know. He this, dressed trees. Apparently, much. yeah. So we didn't know. We didn't, yeah, he dressed like nice nice clothes, suits. Yeah. Um, he, he had liked, money to blow, so why not? He liked to do <laughs> weddings. So one one tree in a, in a suit, the other in a wedding dress. Bring them together. Um, so dumb. Anyway. We're, we're ridiculous. Sorry, guys. Uh, but the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters, daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land, which spoiler alert happens. So uh, I think it's... I should have written it down. I think it's less than 20 years after Amos prophesies is when Israel falls. I I, I could be wrong on that, but I, I, I believe I that. I believe that's I the time. You. I believe that's the timeline. It's not long. It's not like this is generations later um, that, that all this happens. So we get back to the vision. So anyway, so all that There's is- the break, the story break. Yeah, the break is basically Amaziah saying like, get listen, out get out of here. I'm going to threaten the king. And Amos is like, do you think, I don't, I didn't, I don't prophesy for fun. I prophesy because like- This it, isn't what I grew up wanting to do with my life. Right, exactly. He's kind of like saying to bring it, not, this isn't a perfect comparison, but he's like, yeah, I'm not like a pastor's kid where, and, and like my grandfather wasn't a pastor. And I just became a pastor because it's what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm doing this because I'm called. Like he's yeah. saying like, it's not like- for generations, me. my families have been prophets. Like, no, I was a herdsman. And then God told me to come say this. So I'm going to come say it. Yeah. So take that. Take that, Amaziah. Uh, so let's get back to the visions though. So the fourth vision was a basket of summer fruit showing that Israel was ripe for judgment. Which kinda, is such a like contrasting picture. It's kind of a basket yeah. of summer fruit. Like, oh, this is awesome. Like it's warm and inviting. Right. It's like, 
but you're actually right for judgment. Like, oh, oh, being ripe is it's kind of it's similar, That's, I guess, to the the day of the Lord thing. Where yes, it's like, exactly. you, you exactly. think you like it, but you don't. Yep. Um, and then the fifth and final vision is one of Yahweh standing at the altar of Bethel and ordering its destruction, which is a, this is it's a really cool picture when you read that one. It's basically just like. He's he's going he's going ham. Um, however, after Yahweh finishes declaring the coming destruction of Israel, he promises future restoration. So this is where we get um, the final five verses of Amos that I wanted to read. Just read them because this is how the book ends. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its branches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given him, says the Lord your God. So that, and that's how it ends. So there that's is a nice a, ending. Yeah. It, well, and we talk about this a lot, but the picture that the prophets give is almost always one of there's judgment, but there's a way out, and there's also going to be restoration once yeah. it's done, particularly for Israel. We don't really get that for like some of the other nations. But even when Amos and the other prophets are declaring that Israel is about to fall, and then Jeremiah is declaring that Judah is about to fall, we still see these problems. That's where the famous Jeremiah, the 29-11 verse comes from. We always take it out of context because it's surrounded by the fact that Israel or uh, that Jerusalem will be destroyed. But yeah. The idea is that after destruction, there is a time of restoration. And yep. we see this. We see it both. There's, there's a fulfillment that happens within what we know and knowledge-wise is that the people of Israel do eventually go back under Zerubbabel and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, and they do begin to rebuild the cities and the walls mm-hmm. and the temple and all these different things. Um, even today, we see... Um, a lot of it, the Israelites are living in the land of Israel today. It's kind of an interesting. It's an interesting parallel to what happened there. Um, but there's a future time that is promised. And I, I would say that this is pointing towards the new heaven, the new earth, the full restoration of, yeah. of what is happening, that there will be a time when God firmly plants and they will never be uprooted again. We will never be uprooted again. Yep. So interesting. But that's the book of Amos. Yeah. So hopefully you liked it. Famous Amos. Fam- famous Amos. It's better than the cookies. Oh, Yeah. So uh, we did have a question come in this week, so we're going to uh, get to it here in a second. Before we do, we just remind you to uh, leave us a review uh, on whatever whatever app you're listening on, but Apple Podcast is kind of the most helpful, um, preferably a review of the five-star kind so that we can help get this uh, podcast out there to more people and grow our community of people reading the Bible together. So, And also, it's a great place to give uh, any feedback that you might have. So yeah. it helps us out. Thanks in advance. Also, again, shout out to Texas. Thanks for repping, repping our podcast well. All right. So question one says, the prophet Nathan's words in 2 Samuel 7, 13 through 15 appear to be a prophecy about Jesus until you get to the second half of verse 14, which says, when he does wrong. 
Uh, But Jesus was perfect, so that doesn't fit. The rest of the prophecy only sort of fits Solomon, as he would literally build the temple, but this certainly wasn't going to establish the kingdom forever, nor do I see a father-son relationship between God and Solomon. So my question is, can you unravel this passage? No, sorry. No, it can't be done. All right, so 2 Samuel, to read it really quick, 13 through 15, or chapter 7, verses 13 through 15. It says, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Uh, so it's tote Solomon is kind of, that's what I put. <laughs> that's legit. What <laughs> it's, it's what it says in the notes. It's tote Solomon, T-O-T-E-S, totes. Totes. Um, okay. So, so here, and I can see where the trip up would come because- when it says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That does not mean that he's establishing Solomon forever. Yeah. That's language that that's messianic language that's also used of David, where mm-hmm. it says that eventually there will be um, a king where the throne is established forever. And so we know through Jesus, who is in the line of David, yep. uh, that is what happens there. Yep. So that's where he that fills that, pro- that, that prophetic statement. Right. And then with the rest of it, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. So... Um, we do see, we, I guess we kind of gloss over it when we talk about Solomon, but the, the famous stories of Solomon really are ones where God is treating him as a son. Yeah. You know, the famous one where Solomon, what would you ask? And Solomon says wisdom. Well, that's, God, God is clearly showing Solomon a ton of affection and a ton of love. And when he does- favor too. Like, favor. He, doesn't, he doesn't ask a lot of people that in scripture. What do you want from me? Like, true. So, that's very true. And, it's, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to, to discredit Jesus and Jesus saying, hey, what do you want regarding to healings and the supernatural and the miracles and the power of Christ? Mm-hmm. But God doesn't show up and say, hey, what do you want? Oftentimes it's, it's hinged on what God has revealed and then our response to it. But Right. No, that's a great point. So I think, I think this actually does fit really well with Sol- Solomon. Yeah. Uh, also, when Solomon goes astray, he is disciplined. <laughs> like there's things that happen. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think the, the line that really seals it for me is, my steadfast love will not depart from him. Solomon deserved God's love to depart from him. But as we talked about last week, when we talked about Rehoboam and Jeroboam, um, God tells Solomon, I'm not going to do this when you're king, when you're alive, because of the promises I made your father. But then as soon as Solomon dies and Rehoboam becomes king, kingdom divides. So in that way, God's love does not depart from Solomon. Even though he he actually withholds just punishment from Solomon because of the promise that is being made here to David. So there you go. That's kind of the, that's kind of the thought. So it is, I mean, I guess it's always a little bit open for interpretation, but I, I would yeah. definitely interpret this as being. Yeah, solid. I would too. I think, I think it, it, I can see the hang up a little bit. It's like, there's not really a father son relationship that there totally is a father son relationship. Um, you know, and it reinforces the steadfast love part, you know, a comparison to Saul whom, you know, God rejected, God turned his back on Saul because of Saul's disobedience. Um, but you see it, you see it in Ecclesiastes where Solomon is lamenting, but also reflecting on his life. God's love is right. still extravagant to him. It's still like the, the only thing that's meaningful is, is living under, under God's purposes. And so it's, it's um, telling that at the end of Solomon's life, the main advice that he gives is remember your creator in the days, days of, of your youth. Yep. Don't, don't do what I did. Yep. So, so anyways. There you go. Good question though. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Just as a reminder, we are one of the resources of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find uh, our full archive of podcast episodes, full archive of past messages, and our Life and Limb blog on our website, grove.church, under media. 
Um, and then also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, or if the ministry of the Grove Church in general has been a blessing to you, and you'd like to financially give to support that, you can also do that on our website if you go to grove.church. There's a give button in the top right-hand corner. So yeah. with that being said, thanks so much for listening. We'll uh, see you next week. See you.